Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Mark. We're in chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, uh, In which I am baptized, uh, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. You may be seated. So we're in a series called uh, Distinctly Us. I almost forgot the name of it there. And the series is uh, uh, specifically taking a look at the values of Stonehouse Church, which is a little different than what we normally do because normally we just walk through books of the Bible. We're going to begin that in October as we jump into the book of Luke. Uh, we're going to be doing a series in kind of the, the texts uh, that historically have been called Luke Unique, uh, which are the 20-some-odd texts in Luke that aren't in any of the other Gospels. Um, and so Luke, uh, as a doctor and an educated man, uh, went about uh, garnering eyewitness accounts before he wrote his gospel account. And so that's why he has a lot of different stuff in there than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, um, because their uh, accounts come more from disciple perspective, where Luke's comes from a wider perspective. And so we're going to look at all of those unique passages in Luke. Uh, it's going to take us through the end of the year and into next year. It's going to be a great series. We'll have a couple different speakers, both in the fall and the spring, um, as well as myself carrying through most of it, but uh, just a great look at the life of Jesus uh, on account of the eyewitness accounts that existed from his uh, life and ministry. So we'll be jumping that into that in October. Uh, and on October 7th, I want to just give you a heads up on this. We're going to do Church Planning Sunday again on October 7th. Um, we're going to talk about and highlight some of the church planting efforts that we're connected to as an Acts 29 church. We're going to take a church planting offering. I haven't yet identified what need that's going to go to, um, but more than likely it'll go to Greg Wilson, who's over in Manchester, England, hosting some of their very first meetings for a brand new church plant there. Um, and we'll find out what he needs, like uh, some books like we bought him last year, maybe a speaker, uh, some speakers or microphones or, or, or a week's rent at their facility or something like that. So come with a fat load of cash all rolled up on Sunday, the 7th of October. Drop that in an offering and we will bless those folks in Manchester. So um, anyways, this series, as we've been digging through it, we've been seeking uh, clarity and kind of centering around the values of our church uh, rather than kind of saying, hey, we're really great and everybody else stinks. Like that's not the point of this series at all. In fact, we hope that a lot of the things that we are saying are things that other churches say as well. In fact, we think it's true right? Uh, we just want to kind of coalesce around these things so that we can identify the things that we really feel impressed upon by the Lord and by his word uh, that would move us into being a particular people in a particular time in a particular place. Um, and so as we dig into this, um, we've been finding out more and more about what Jesus is building here amongst us. And some of these values are things that exist, like we can see them literally taking shape. Uh, some of them are more aspirational. We're saying things like, hey, this is who we hope to be. Uh, this is what we hope God will build. Um, and uh, in the midst of doing this, there's been some challenge and, uh, and confrontation. And I think today possibly might be the most challenging and confrontational for us. So uh, buckle up and uh, we'll get ready for this. Um, also, the first few weeks kind of had more to do with what we value so far as our view of God goes. So we talked about the gospel and God's word. So those are values that have more to do with our, our view of God. Last week had a little bit more to do with our view of ourselves. We talked about putting others above ourselves um, and, and wanting that as a value. 
uh, in the church. And this week and next week kind of turn us to look more at what we value as far as the church goes, uh, kind of as the, we as a, as a collective people go. Um, but the thing is, is that these all kind of spill over into one another and there's a dynamic interaction between all of these. And so we're not saying this week specifically only about the church. Um, organizationally, it's definitely about us individually too, and so on and so forth. But I just thought it'd be helpful to know kind of where we're going as we continue to move forward. Uh, and just to list them out for you, our first value is this gospel. Uh, uh, we value the gospel over religion, and we kind of are stating them or, or, or putting them forward with, with what looks like almost a mathematical equation or a word equation. Um, in that we're highlighting our value over the anti-value. And we're not trying to, to throw mud at the anti-value or anybody who would hold to it. Uh, what we're trying to do is gain clarity on our value by stating what it isn't, right? So sometimes we can just simply say this is what it is and that's helpful, but if we contrast it with what isn't, then we'll gain even more uh, succinct idea on, on what the thing is that we're talking about. So we value the gospel over religion. Uh, if you need a better definition of what that is, that's in week one. You can find those sermons online uh, or on iTunes. Our second value is that we value God's word over worldly wisdom. Uh, add just a caveat, if you missed that, we don't say that there's no wisdom in the world. Uh, we just had a distinction about sola scriptura, how what the scriptures speak to are authoritative for us, and that we submit to that over uh, kind of the, the, the wisdom or the knowledge of the age. Um, and that's our, that's our deep desire to value that. Last week, we talked about valuing, valuing others as more significant than ourselves, um, which was uh, just gut-wrenching. So good luck with listening to that one if you didn't yet. Uh, and here's our fourth value for this week. Our value would be stated uh, in the equation like this, contribution uh, is greater than consumption. Or we would say it like this, we value contribution over consumption. Okay. And last week in our Others Over Self uh, message series, we talked about the interests of others being more or, or, or uh, more valuable than our own interests. We talked about having consideration for others over uh, seeking the comfort of being with people that are like me. Uh, and we also briefly touched on investment uh, in others over preservation of self. Uh, and really this week is going to expand on that idea a lot more for us personally and then for us as a church. What does it look like to invest in others rather than seek to preserve myself, right? And so Mark 10, 35 to 45, our passage that Nathan read this morning, uh, touches on uh, some of these realities in this conversation between James, John, and Jesus, and apparently James and John's mom, too was involved in this little chat. That's what uh, Matthew and Luke both reveal. So I'm going to read this text again. We're going to pray a lot, and then we will jump in to this. So here we go. Again, Mark 10, 35 and following. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, <laughs> They began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For... Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Jesus, that final verse is essentially your mission statement. And for the disciples and for the world and for us, it is a point of clarity that we are so prone to forget and, and to completely fly over or miss, to not realize that the God of all the universe who existed before anything existed, 
who exists now in full glory and who will exist for all time and eternity future. That he, you, Jesus, you came and served. That is a profound reality and it points us to so much about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to lead, what it means to serve, what it means to be a Christian. And God, we understand and and we take the time today uh, to recognize the fact that our world is running in the opposite direction of serving others. Running aggressively, spinning tremendously inward, sinking downward, away from service of others and into the self. God, it's a sickness, it's a poison, it's the air we breathe, it's the reality of the culture surrounding us, and it's been the story of humanity since basically the beginning of time. And so, Jesus, we come to you today to look square in the face the selfish motivations of consumption, the me-first attitudes. And God, we know this will not be easy, but God, we know that it is essential if we are to become a people marked by Jesus, a people who then can live in the world and draw attention to the great one who gave him his life for others for the Savior who became so by being a servant and even a slave so that we could be liberated. God, we need you. We need your example. We need your substitution. We need your power. And we need today a, an inoffendable self. And that's asking a lot. God, that's asking a lot for anyone in here, especially for me. So please, by your spirit, would you move us into a supernatural position where we could receive rebuke, receive healing, to see Jesus and to be lifted so that you might put us forward as an example and a testimony to the good grace of God. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said a minute ago, this is going to be, this series is unique. Um, in the way we normally walk through things. And and this week, I think, is going to be even more unique amongst these uh, several weeks uh, in this series. I want to offer a few qualifying upfront statements that hopefully will uh, attach themselves into the back of your mind as we progress through this day. Uh, I want you to understand that a large section of today's message is a family meeting type of a message, right? So if you're new with us, uh, welcome. Uh, We really like being family. Uh, We believe that's what the church is and should be. Uh, And we like to pursue being family the way that Jesus would lead us into, not in a dysfunctional way where we just scream at each other and run and hide and stuff things under the rug and don't talk about them for 15 years. Um, Sorry, didn't mean to talk about family like that. But like we want to be the kind of family that is led by a leader like Jesus Uh, who is courageous in his pursuit of us, meaning that he wants to lead us away from unhealth, uh, from things that are broken in us, and push us toward health, uh, and push us into goodness. And so a lot of what uh, is going to be said today has uh, a a lot of indication on... um, on just kind of family dynamics as far as us here at Stonehouse Church. I hope that if you're new, that it's a refreshing thing to hear and that it doesn't scare you, okay? Uh, But I also want to clarify that that's the reality. And especially if you're not even a follower of Jesus, like we're super excited that you would come and be in this place and and consider hearing from God's word and and, and receiving conversation about Jesus. That's really what we hope uh, is a welcoming thing that happens here. Uh, If you're not a follower of Jesus, the power for the transformation that would bring about some of the things in life that we're going to talk about today isn't even in your heart Um, because the the gospel speaks to a transformation that happens when we encounter the living God uh, in the person and the work of Jesus. And so as a Christ follower, we are pushed toward particular things because of what Jesus did for us and what he's doing in us. And if you're not a Christ follower, just consider the type of people that Jesus is trying to make because that says a lot about who Jesus himself is. Uh, and in fact, we'll hold up the clarity of uh, who Jesus is as the servant. So um, that's, that's all to say this is, this is it's going to be different. Um, and, I, and I also want to clarify that this isn't like my, my moment for passive-aggressive uh, posturing, right? Like conversations always need to be happening. 
uh, pressure and difficulty and awkwardness always exist. And sometimes we're at a better place in that whole journey than we are at other times. And listen, sometimes, I was going to smack my hand, we fall flat on our face in the pursuit of these things, right? Like flat. And I've been there, and I've done that, and I own that. Right, And so this isn't me coming and saying, this is a conversation we should always have. Right? This is us wanting to talk about the reality of Christ's work in us and just begin to let that be seeping into the crevices of our lives. Um, and so we always want, as a church family, to prioritize the grace that God has given us. Right? Our goal above all things is that we would treat one another the way that Jesus has treated us. Right? So there is the high calling of Christ's holiness, and then there is the low compassion of Jesus coming to us where we are. Right? And so we always want to hold those, those things in, in their dynamics together at the same time. Jesus calls you to a great life of holiness and pursuing him and giving and sacrifice and service and contribution. And the reason he came and gave and sacrificed and contributed is because you're never going to reach it. And you need somebody to make a way for you to be right with God. And that's what Jesus did in all of that. And I also want to say that this church, we hope can be a place of healing if you're hurt, right? That can be a place of restoration when we're broken. Uh, That can be a place where there is patient endurance and long-suffering through the trials and troubles that we find ourselves in, right? So if you've walked through the damage of like church hurt or religious pressure and stuff like that, our hope is that we take some of that burden and that brokenness away from your life and help you see that the, the, the grace of Jesus is a restoring and a healing grace, right? Uh, and we also want to be so courageous as to say, maybe you contributed to that. And I know that's really, really strong. But when we evaluate most of the confrontations in our life and have the perspective of time and distance, eventually with humility and wisdom, we start to realize, oh, <laughs> I was part of the problem, right? I was part of it. And Jesus calls us to that gracious position, right? A position that we don't find in the world. Nobody owns that. Nobody says, I might have made that mistake, right? It's always them and they and those people. The gospel moves us into this humble view of ourselves that realizes, man, maybe even without knowing it, I was part of blowing that, right? Maybe without even fully realizing it, I contributed to the brokenness of that. So if if wounded, harmful, hurtful, painful things exist in your past as regards the church, we want to say, number one, hopefully you'll see that people around you should have owned that and apologized, and we'd like to do that on behalf of them. And also, might God move you to a place where you can see, wow, I also might have done some things wrong there, right? There's healing in both of those things. Right? Real restoration doesn't just happen when one person says, I'm wrong. Real restoration happens when both people say, I'm wrong. Amen? Because you can even be right and be right in the wrong way, and so you're still wrong, and so on and so forth. So uh, we always have to deal with all those things. So nonetheless, if you're in any of these places, we still believe that Jesus commands and leads the way toward liberating you from serving yourself into the place of serving others. And that's why we're talking about valuing contribution over consumption. Because ultimate, God-glorifying, Jesus' enjoyment, health, uh, is in the place of participation and joining in the things that Jesus has done and is doing. And we find that right through the fact that Jesus came to serve and the fact that he wants to lead us to find real life, right? We believe Jesus is the Son of God, and we also believe that Jesus came as a man and was 100% human, right? So 100% God, 100% human. And Jesus' life is the ultimate example of what full human life can look like, right? He is the absolute final view of a perfect human. He is the only view of a perfect human, And so the fact that Jesus served shows us that perfect humanity is partially constructed through service of others. We see that in the passage that we just read, right? John and James come to Jesus. And I mean, just look at this question in verse 36 or in verse 35. 
Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. This is Jesus, right? Like he hadn't died yet, but this is Jesus who's serving, who's homeless, who's not married, who's poor, who's being ostracized by others, who's holding out the truth of God, who's confronting religious uh, hypocrites, who's serving the poor, who's healing the sick, who's restoring the blind. And their response is, do for us, right? Like, just do for me, whatever I ask, right? On that side of the argument, that's a, it's a crazy picture to think of. On the other side of the argument, after the fact that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, that Jesus ascended, the place that we see Jesus now and everything he's accomplished for us, the statement is still being made by us today, Jesus, I want you to do for, for me whatever I ask, right? It's extremely absurd to think that we would come to one who gave everything and say, can you give me something? Right? Right? This, this, is, this is why the, the culture of like 75 Christmas gifts is so toxic to children, right? Because eventually you've got to wean that down to maybe 50 or maybe 25 or hopefully three. <laughs> and the sickness of the heart is produced in, I deserve all these good things that I've got coming to me. So then when one comes, you just go, where's the other? Where's the more, right? Where's the extra? Now, husbands, I don't know if you made this mistake like I did, but my wife's first birthday after we got married was the greatest three days in the history of the universe. I mean, what I did for her <laughs> was unbelievable, right? Like surprise trip, amazing gifts, you know, uh, just too much. <laughs> she deserves it all, but I set myself up for a really messed up future because I could not repeat that, right? I struggled for years to catch up to that reality, and I still have never fully done it. And thankfully, God's given me an incredibly gracious wife who has never said, what about more, sucker, you know? But we see like the, the propensity of the human heart to grab and to hold and to take and to consume and then to go, what, what more? What else? Feed me. What can you do? Right? We even see this sickness in our nation, and it hasn't been confronted because the way of the world. But we eat, and we fill, and we consume, and we stack, and we, we just keep taking in. And we are never satisfied, and we ask the question, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. It's a short-sighted question that isn't looking at what's already been done. At this point, Jesus had done spectacular things, and the disciples weren't fully awake to the realities of these things, so we understand their position. And we've gracious in the view of the disciples understanding they're not in the book to be heroes. They're in the book to show us ourselves, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, when do we ask this question? And look at Jesus' gracious response, right? It's not, how dare you ask me that, you stupid and grateful fools? It's not what Jesus says, right? He doesn't say, I'm done with you. I'm never doing anything else, right? It's not his response. It's not his response to hold them up as a pathetic example in front of the other 10 disciples, right? I mean, they did that to themselves. Jesus didn't do that. He's not like, all right, Guys, get over here. Look at these idiots. I want to show you how not to do life. James and John. Right? I mean, it's gracious. He digs in. He says, what? What do you want? You know? And in the digging, Jesus graciously, graciously exposes an improper view of the kingdom of heaven. Graciously exposes an improper view of who Jesus is and what he's come to do graciously leads them toward a better understanding of what their future will look like, right? He pulls them in to say, come and look. Let's explore your heart. Let's evaluate why you asked that question. Let's dig in, right? And of course, this whole scenario produces jealousy amongst the disciples, and Jesus puts 
uh, a punctuation mark at the end of the conversation in verse 42 and 43. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So Jesus says, listen, I, this is the world you guys live in, Right? everything you're told from childhood, everything you're sold on the billboards, all of the training material you've been through in junior high, like it's all pointing in this direction. And I understand that and that's the reality of it. But I want to present to you the upside down kingdom that I am building, right? Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must first be your servant and whoever would, would be first among you must be slave of all. Why? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says suffering comes first. Laying your life down for others comes first. Those are the pathways to glory. In fact, the greatest in the kingdom is the servant because I have come to serve. I have come to serve. In Matthew 16, Jesus speaks of something similar in a very popular passage where he explains the upside-down way to kingdom living. This is Matthew 16, 24 to 28. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus says, are you seeking to save your life? Are you pursuing a self-prospering life? Are you seeking after preservation? You're going to lose your life. You're going to lose your life. He says there is nothing that you can profit, nothing that you can gain in the world, nothing that you can grab hold of and take ownership of and pull into yourself that will give you life. It will all cost you your soul. Right? And these aren't... Like when we stop and we think these aren't shocking words and they aren't even absent completely from our culture, right? They're there, they're just not prevalent. They're just not repeated, they're just not clarified, right? We understand and we see and we value the times when we see other people give, right? We, we highlight that, we celebrate that. We run, we run to those who lead by giving of themselves, right? We understand, listen, if you've ever had a boss that really understands the concept of serving, then you've lived in a wonderful professional environment, maybe without even realizing it, because a culture has been created in that place where leaders put others before themselves, where they're not seeking to build their own kingdom and their own greatness and pocket, uh, pad their own pocketbook, but are actually living to develop others and contribute to society and produce services or goods that benefit the masses, right? Like, when we are in other-centered environments, we feel the thriving, we feel the heart inside of us come alive, and yet still we know there's such a deep sickness inside of us to pursue our own gain. Jesus says you will truly find life when you give up your life for the sake of him and for the sake of others. Ultimately, the only way to find this kind of life alive inside of our hearts is, so, is for us to behold the one who has given everything, right? One of our topics in the gospel value over religion had to do with behavior modification and the way that we seek change, right? We don't seek to just improve our behaviors and do some things to become better people. We seek the transformation of the heart, which is only possible from seeing Jesus, beholding who he is and what he's done, and letting him begin to melt and reform everything about who we are, right? So listen, we're going to talk about a lot of doing right now, 
Okay? And you might start thinking, man, this guy's just nothing but a legalist. Okay? Well, let me clear legal, clarify legalism. I hate legalism. Right? I hate legalism. But here's what legalism actually is. Legalism says you should do these things so that God will love you better. Okay? You should do these things to become more approved of by God. That's legalism. Okay? So to say you should do these things isn't legalism. The why behind why you should do these things matters everything. And the reason we would say you should lead into and begin to see these things formed in your life, the reason we say that is because you've seen Jesus do it. And you're enamored by the love that he gave you. And you're responding to that love in liberty with a desire to say, Jesus, not what can you do for me, like James and John, but Jesus, what can I do for you? You did everything. You gave all. Therefore, nothing in my life is off limits, Jesus. Right? You gave it all. Mind, soul, body, strength. Time, attention, effort sweat, blood, tears, you gave it all. Therefore, nothing in my life is, out, uh, is off limits when it comes to serving you. So as we talk about contribution over consumption, we need to understand that we're swimming upstream in a culture of consumption, right? Now, I know I pick on the American church a lot, and partially I'm cynical, I'll admit it, right? Like, cynical. Been in it all my life, and I've got issues. Amen, right? So, seeing my Wednesday night counselor for that. Um, but I also do this because I really hope that we can begin to perceive how abnormal we've become, right? We've moved an entire different strata as far as existing in the church. What exists basically and normally before us in America is so far off track that we do need to highlight that reality. And also, there's a lot of harmful aspects in kind of like the, the Christian culture type thing. Uh, and those things deny the truth of Jesus and also uh, distort the nature of the follower of Jesus, right? And so we want to clarify on those things. So my apologies, and it's not just happened in the past, it'll happen in the future. My cynicism comes out, right? Like, there's, I think, where's that other church that doesn't have a sinner as a pastor, Jason? I, I'm trying to remember. No. So that's one of the problems with me, right? I've, I've got that issue. It's one of like 75,345,634,000 issues. Um, so one of the huge areas where the American church is distorted and harmful is that we are basically, uh, uh, we've basically produced kind of uh, religious consumers, okay? Uh, and a lot of this is, is, is the fault of the consumer, and a lot of this is the fault of the sellers, um, the way that church has kind of become uh, is basically uh, just a, uh, a big business uh, with Jesus' name on the billboard, um, practicing the same practices of corporate America, valuing the same values of consumeristic trends, and, and just continuing to produce people who consume. And so uh, some of it's your fault, and some of it's your environment's fault, and so we want to own all of that right? And I know that's tough, but we can do it. Uh, here's something that's interesting. The majority of churches uh, say that finding enough funding or volunteers are the two biggest obstacles in doing outreach uh, for them locally, nationally, and internationally, right? So the, the biggest problem is not that the culture's changing. The biggest problem is not that there's hatred towards God or biblical illiteracy. The biggest problem is not, you know, hot topic political turmoil, the biggest problem for most churches is we don't have enough people and we don't have enough money, right? Simply stated. Uh, and when it comes to con uh, contributing over consumption, we're talking about two things, and that's both like our time and energy, right, and giving of that, and then also our money, giving our money, right? Uh, and so uh, one of the realities that we live in uh, as a country, is that we're basically giving as Christians right now at the same rate that Christians gave during the Great Depression. The Great Depression. Not the 2008 Depression, not the 1980s Depression, the Great Depression. Right before World War II, when almost the entire country fell apart. At that time, Christians were giving 3.3% of their income on average. At this time in American history, we are giving 3.3% of our income on average. 
That's intense, right? It's messed up. That's the culture that we live in. The view of church is largely that it's a place to get fed rather than a place where you can add value through engagement. Often people view the church and service in the church and work of church and the labor included or needed in ministry as a job for somebody who gets paid to do rather than as an opportunity for me to contribute, right? That's where kind of that corporate America reality has seeped in that we see the top paying people or the paid people are the ones that should do all the work and we should receive benefit from them working. It's a complete missight of understanding that you are the church. And what we hope when we say we want to value contribution over consumption, what we want to see, what we hope to value is that we as a people individually value contributing over consuming. We value the development of others and, 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 and the development of a people over the preservation and the development of the self. And we misunderstand often that, man, if I do that, then I'll suffer over here. And we don't understand, actually, you'll blossom when you do that, right? Significant growth will happen in your life when you begin to contribute. And what also, what we are also talking about is not just you as an individual contributing, but we as a church being a church of contribution, not consumption, okay? We desire to build a church that engages with the culture around us by contributing to our city, okay? We do not want to be a suck on St. Pete, okay? We don't want to be a resource suck on St. Pete. We don't want to be a time suck on St. Pete. We don't want to be an attention suck on St. Pete. We want to give and give and give, right? We want to be a church that would be missed if we stopped functioning because we are giving places and helping people and serving our community and adding a voice to the changing culture and the landscape of our city. Right? And trying to steer some values because we know that what we value is ultimately good for the whole city. And so we want people to value the things that we value. Right? Not hold that over their head as if they should be Christians, but hold it up as an example of true living. To live before them and say, look, it's glorious to put other people before myself. It's life-giving to serve the needs of others. That's what we want to build as a church contributing to the culture. We want to give away time. We want to give away money. We're here for something more than just our own greatness, right? A lot of who we are and how we function right now is trying to push us toward that type of a view of church, right? That this, though it's a, a significant and colossal moment for us as Christians and it ought to be highly prioritized, right? We're not going to set it up as the, as the end all be all. We are not the greatest thing, right? We want to serve and in serving find greatness like Jesus told us and like he showed us. We want to add to this city. We want to contribute to this place and in so doing point to the truth of the gospel. And so how are we doing with this, right? That's what we need to measure. How are we doing with this individually? How are we doing with this corporately? How are we doing with this as a city? So this might be the more family meeting type of time as we took a realistic look at the needs and realities of our church. So I, I sent out a survey to uh, a crew of folks and had some conversations this week with people uh, to talk about serving, to talk about contributing in the local church. Um, ended up with 15 pages worth of notes uh, from people who are giving time, attention, energy, money uh, to help make Stonehouse Church exist. Um, and, and as we kind of exist right now, like if we're to function on a good level as a church, I estimate that it would take about 200 human hours, people hours, okay? It would take about 200 hours a week to function at a good level right now as a church, okay? Now that 200 hours includes... 50 hours for me, which is what I'd love to give, okay? And if I was full-time at the church, I would give. And previously, when I was full-time at the church, that's what I did give. Um, currently, I can't give that because I'm working part-time as well outside of the church. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. So 50 of the hours 
ish would be staff, which still leaves 150 volunteer hours a week needed just to do a good job, just to do a good job, to care for one another, right? To function, to, to work. That's what we would need. That's on average, if we did five hours a week, which is just a bit better than the average that we're seeing right now, that would need 30 people to contribute, okay? So when you say 200, it's like, holy crap. And you say 150, you're like, oh my God, right? When I say by 30 people doing it, five hours a week, it's really not that bad, right? Really not that bad. Uh, so that's what would make us function at a good level. What we're actually experiencing right now is more like 100 hours, okay? So we're literally running at half capacity right now, okay? Praise God, we're doing it. But we're half of what we could be, right? We're half of what it would require to do well. Uh, so that half includes 28 and a half hours for me, from me a week right now. That's what I'm able to give on average. Okay, some weeks better, some weeks worse. Which leaves 75 hours uh, of volunteer power needed, and that's about four hours uh, on average a week, and that's what we're getting from uh, the folks who are contributing right now. And so we've got just shy of about 20 people serving somewhere around an average of four hours a week. Okay, so to run good, 200. Where we're at now, 100. And I want to paint a picture of where we could go, <laughs> right? Because in order to move into a season of flourishing ministry and able to, to become the type of church that is present and serving and giving and tr contributing in its city like we hope to, I believe that 330 hours would get us to that point, okay? And that would include pulling Jason onto staff at this church. I would love to see that. Jason's our other pastor, um, plays the drums, teaches every once in a while, counsels people, meets with people, leads city group, helps his wife build and lead the music ministry. I don't know what else. This guy's unbelievable. While he's in graduate school, while he's only a few years into his marriage, while he's got a 10-month-old baby, and he's changing jobs next month, okay? So I'd love to see us hire that guy, okay? Not anywhere near possible right now, but that's what I'm putting in this little part right now. So if Jason and I worked, then we'd We'd tackle about 110 hours of that, so it'd break it down to 220 hours. Uh, and in, in a five-hour-a-week average, we would basically need 44 people to serve in order to get to a great place, like a, a really healthy place, like really meeting needs within our own congregation, really building leaders well, right? Serving our kids and our families phenomenally, right? Beginning to do outreach, right? Put ourselves out there, not to get our name great, but to serve, to lower ourselves, and to be humble, right? That's not untenable. Right now, we've got 60 adults that consider Stonehouse Church their home. 60, okay? We need 44 people serving five hours a week in order to be killing it right now. It is not untenable. It's very, very possible. It's very, very realistic. It is not outside the realm of possibility, okay? So we've got 60 adults that consider Stonehouse their church. We've also got the kids that go along with that. Currently, we've got about 20 people serving, though, okay? We've got about 20 people serving, and their average serving is around four to five hours a week, okay? Also, in these figures, I should include that we've got about 30 people giving regularly, okay? So honestly, listen, if we compare ourselves to America, we're doing pretty good, okay? But I'd like to submit that a comparison to America is the worst possible comparison ever when it comes to biblical norms, okay? That's why I talk about the unhealth of the American church, because compared to it, sure, we're doing okay, but that's a terrible comparison, right? That's like the Tampa Bay Lightning coming and watching me play hockey and trying to learn how to do well. Like, dude, bro, serious? Don't come back. <laughs> Bad comparison, right? There is so much greater, so much more that is in us greater than a comparison to the American church. But, like, I want, like, we're not so bad, 
Not even close, right? And if you've heard that from my voice, like, number one, I repent. Because my cynicism is true here too, right? If you've heard that from others, give them grace. Because they're probably working really hard and they're tired, right? If you've said that to others, let's, let's talk, right? I know it's hard. I do, right? We can do it. If you can't, that's okay, right? That's okay. I get it. I've been there myself. I understand. Like, I went through that church hurt stuff that I'm talking about that was largely my fault, but also some others. And I needed a couple years to recover from that. My wife and I needed some time to just simply come and sit in church every single week, week after week, and hear the gospel and let it wash over our souls and restore us, right? We needed that. And we're glad to put that out here, okay? Please don't hear these words as shame and as manipulation. I just want to talk real talk, okay? So I said I kind of sent out a survey and I got some words, some thoughts, some of the contribution and the reality behind some of our volunteers. And I want to share some of their words um, with you because they're encouraging. In particular, I want to share with you their words about what Jesus has taught them as they've served at Stonehouse. A recurring trend is that God has taught them patience. Someone said that they received added glimpses of the gospel during their service. I thought that was beautiful. There's an understanding that learning about Jesus is a small, everyday journey, not a six-month intensive course, right? It's something that has learned. A lot of people have been shown their own selfishness in serving, right? So even when giving, people are like, ugh, <laughs> I'm such a selfish dog, right? Like, it's crazy. Like, even doing exposes our hearts and shows us how prone we are to look at ourselves. Some talked about having their priorities rearranged by Jesus, seeing the importance and the priority of the church of Jesus Christ. People talked about having their motivations exposed, being taught to rely on Jesus. Almost half of these people talked about how connection at their church has enhanced through service. Okay? One person saying 90% of my functioning and beneficial relationships exist because I serve. Like, that's tremendous. Right? Others have said... It helps you connect to the family and the spreading of the gospel. A couple said, man, I, I realized through serving that God made me to do some things. Like he, he gave me really cool gifts, right? Somebody talked about how you kind of have to feel that out, right? Especially in a small church where we don't have a whole lot of specialization. It's just kind of like, you know, I've, I've waded my way through this stuff and I've started to find the spots that God has really built me to serve. One person talked about how serving helps them to reflect on how much grace they've received from Jesus. And just about everybody has said, it's worth it, and I'm glad I'm doing it. And they also want people who don't serve to know it's a joy. It's hard sometimes. Right? There's sometimes I get up and don't want to do it. And then when I do, I'm so glad I did. Right? These people served so beautifully. And they're still recognizing that they aren't everything that Jesus wants to make them. But they give and they give and they give. And God is giving them grace over and over again. So to serve, it doesn't take a particular spiritual acumen. You don't have to be an expert Jesus follower. This isn't a like separate class of Christians that serve, right? American Christianity would tell you that. That's not true, okay? The priesthood and non-priesthood, the sacred and uh, the secular are not divided here, 
right? We are all priests. Our name for our church is derived from a passage that says Jesus uses everybody to build the church. We're all living stones in this spiritual house and contributing. We need to understand that Jesus is served when we serve others and Jesus is serving others when we serve others, right? So we are actually serving Jesus and then Jesus is actually serving through us. It's a beautiful participation. It's a wonderful reality, right? And I'd be amiss if I were to not say some of our lack of service, the fact that we have less or maybe are missing some of our hours is on me, okay? I've learned through this church planning journey that a lot of the things that I thought I was really great at, I'm not, right? And God is graciously bringing and building around us people that are way better at things like connecting others, at building systems, right? At putting together leadership teams. There are people that God's bringing. You might be one of them, right? You might be one of them. And I really, really am glad that God is building that. So I've got to own the fact that we don't have a, a perfect process for connecting and training and even supporting leaders. We've lost leaders because we haven't supported them well. And that's on us. I own that all day long. That's me, right? I've struggled to do that well. I've failed tremendously in supporting leaders, okay? And I, I, I apologize for it. But I also say, let's keep going. Failures can't stop us, amen? Uh, in a lot of ways, we're still learning what it means to begin to function better and to have some better support and systems. And thankfully, God, even in just the last year, has put some really important people in some really important places to help us develop and grow. So let me say this real quick. If you want to serve in kids, come to lunch. See me. We'll get you started. If you want to help with setup team, see Mike. Put your hand up, Mike. Right there. Help us set up and tear down. If you want to serve in the production team, see Dave over there or Jason. Production means sound and video, stuff like that. Video, we don't have video. Uh, if you want to serve in the hospitality scene uh, team, see Aaron. He's the guy who usually helps you get your coffee. No, Aaron. A-A-Ron. A-A-Ron. Uh, if you want to serve in admin and finance, you can see Nathan. Stone Cipher, also Heather helps with a lot of our admin. Um, if you want to serve with the connections team, that's Aaron with an E. Uh, music team is Jason and Kelly. Uh, design team, well, we don't have one. Um, we kinda, we've got uh, Amanda helps with social media and website right there. Uh, and there are other ways to connect, so we'd love to help you connect and serve you. Again, we don't have this streamlined, perfect process. Um, but we do have needs, and we'd love to help you plug in. Uh, and a lot of plugging in in a new church means active plugging in, not passive, right? So if we were at a different place, you could probably just put your name on a sheet, drop that in the offering box, and boom, it'd be done, right? Like, we just, we're not doing that. That's just not our reality right now. Um, so we need real conversations. We need pursuit. We need you to hunt us down, which can be annoying, I get um, but the people who have done it are so glad they did, right? Also, as far as giving goes, you can give in an offering box back there. You can give online. Uh, we have some people that give through bill paychecks. I encourage you, if that's not a reality for you, just begin somewhere. I believe you can do it, okay? Just begin somewhere. It'll change your life, and that's not for me, <laughs> Right? That's for you. All of this is for you. I want you to find life. I want you to find life, like Jesus said. Okay? Two of our most recent leaders who have most recently stepped up into positions, when they responded this week, responded with the most words. Okay? Because of the profound impact of recently engaging and how that's affected their life. And listen, for some of them, I nearly wept because I saw Jesus in their words, right? Jesus is expressed and is living through people who are serving Jesus. And I want to, listen, this is a really easy way to contribute to the local church. 
keep being here. Right? Keep being here. The consuming culture of American Christianity would tell you to shop for church. Right? And I get it, finding a comfortable home, totally for it. Right? Totally for it. Um, hang around. It'll change your life. Hang around when it's easy. It's going to be really fun. Hang around when you're building relationships. That's going to be exciting, right? Hang around when the ministry you're contributing to is growing and thriving and meeting needs, right? Hang around when it sucks. Hang around when you have awkward conversations week in and week out. Hang around when I fail you. When? When? I fail you. There's no if in that sentence. If I haven't yet, you just haven't looked hard enough. I will fail you. Hang around. I believe, especially in those latter moments, the growth of your heart will be profound. You'll find Jesus meeting you in ways you never have before. Be here. It's good. Right? God is being glorified as we do these things. So listen, we've got a long way to go, but God has been gracious to us. The church plant's two and a half years old if you count starting as Stonehouse. It's more like five and a half years old if you count the other church that started called Aletheia. So this church is a parachute church plant that basically started twice. It's tough stuff. We're a non-denominational church with not a lot of outside support. It's tough stuff. Right? We've moved intentionally into a city where churches die at rapid rates. It's tough stuff. We're in the midst of a cultural shift that is profound. It's tough stuff, and it's worth it. As you lose your life here for the sake of the gospel, I truly believe you will find it. And I want to read these words from Paul to the church in Philippi. He says this in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. All the yous in this verse are plural, okay? Another problem with the American church, all the yous are singular in the American church. These are plural, okay? Yous guys or y'all, right? I thank my God in my remembrance of y'all. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you guys will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. His prayer is that their love would abound. The problem with consumption is that it is an inward-focused, life-sucking reality. And sin, by definition, is to look to the self rather than to God, to look to the self over the others, right? Consumption looks like it's giving you life, and it will eventually take your life. When you keep coming to Jesus saying, what can you right? Let's move to love because love is outward. Love is for others. Love pulls you out of the self and into a greater story, a story of a community, a story of a savior, a story of the gospel. Amen? So together, can we imagine a church of contribution that contributes to a city for the glory of Jesus? I invite you to dream that dream with me, right? To hope that hope with me, to pray those prayers with me, and to join the ranks of the falling short, imperfect, selfish, but learning how to find real life through service group of people. Because we're all a mess and we're going to run on this thing together.
for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love, which includes a bit of confrontation. And God, I, I pray for my own soul because I feel the proclivity towards cynicism and doubt, the difficulty of believing the best about others, the hard road of seeing myself rightly and owning my mistakes. God, and I pray those very same things for everyone in here because I love them and because you love them. Jesus, teach us to face the truth, to not defend ourselves, and to respond in humility, to lower ourselves, to take up our cross, to consider the lives of others as better than our own, as more significant than our own, and to follow the serving Savior in giving our lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others. And God, we're not in this just for our own name. Jesus, we see in our own lives, in our neighbors, in our coworkers, in our friends, in our enemies, we see the destruction of self-centered sin, of consumption. And God, our hope is that you would pull us out of it, that we might be the kind of people to help pull others out of it, to point them to a greater way, to the way of Jesus. So thanks for this day, God, even the uneasiness. We move into it understanding that you have nothing but grace for us, grace to heal us, grace to free us, grace to confront us, and grace to encourage us. God, pull us into your truth, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.